Bibles to Luke 15. Luke 15. Luke, the 15th chapter, focus your attention on verses 15 and 16. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave him to eat. This is Derek Redmond. You may or may not know that name, Derek Redmond. Probably you've not seen this picture before. Maybe you don't recall this name. Maybe it's a name that you've never, ever heard in your life. Derek Redmond is not an American. Derek Redmond lives in the United Kingdom. He was an Olympian for the Great Britain uh, team. He was a sprinter. And in 1994... He was one of the fastest men on the face of the planet. He was a 400-meter sprinter. And again, to be an Olympian meant that he was, again, one of the fastest human beings on the face of the earth. Derek Redmond lived to run. He lived to be an Olympian. To win an Olympic medal was the ultimate goal in Derek Redmond's life. And so in 1994 at the Olympics... 1992, rather, in the Summer Olympics, he ran. He ran just a few steps. And just a few steps, he started limping, and then he collapsed to the track. And his dreams of winning an Olympic medal were dashed. Everything he ever wanted to accomplish was dashed in just a few steps off of the starting block. All he wanted to do was show off his speed. All he wanted to do was show that he was, in fact, one of the fastest human beings on the face of the planet. And just a few steps into the race, he crumbled to the track. Brother Jim, torn hamstring. Torn hamstring. Ended it. The dream was over. And that was it for Derek Redmond. Except that's not the end of his story. He was lying there on the track in Barcelona at the Summer Olympics in great agony and pain and anguish that his dreams have just been dashed as he's watching his fellow competitors cross the finish line and he is lying there on the track. When somewhere from behind him, there was a man who started running in the direction of Derek Redmond. That was pre 9 not as much security perhaps. And there were people that were gathered around. And there's an individual from the background who begins to run toward Derek Redmond. And when this man reached Derek Redmond, he tried to pick him up off of the track. He allowed Derek to put his arm around his shoulder and he escorted Derek Redmond across the finish line. He helped him limp all the way to the finish line. You want to guess who the man was? 
Jim Redmond, Derek's father. Derek's father was the one who came running toward his son. It was Derek's father who allowed his son to put his arm around his shoulder. And it was Derek Redmond's father who helped him limp across the finish line and finish his race. Perhaps I've had it wrong the whole time. Perhaps you've had it wrong the whole time too. Luke chapter 15 is really not a parable about a prodigal son. Luke 15 is really not a parable that is about the oldest son. Luke 15 is and will always be about the father of those boys. That's what the parable is really about. A dozen times in Luke chapter 15, reference is made to the father. Father is mentioned specifically 12 times in the parable. Jesus is giving a parable that helps us to understand better our Father who is in heaven. He's telling us about God through His boys. Tonight, that's what I want you to think about. The Father in the parable of Luke chapter 15. I had Brother Jim read for us a moment ago from Luke 15, verses 15 and 16. Now, the the parable is a familiar parable. And probably uh, most, if not all of you sitting here tonight, you have some familiarity with the parable that Jesus gives that we often refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. There's a phrase in that, that reading that Brother Jim did a moment ago that I want you to really consider. As this young man has gone and wasted all of his living, and he has joined himself to a citizen of this far country, and he finds himself out feeding the swine, the most unclean you would have found under Jewish law, a Jewish boy feeding unclean swine, finds himself in this condition. And the phrase that I want you to underline or really think with me tonight at the end of verse number 16 is, No one gave him anything. No one gave him anything because Jesus makes a great contrast in that phrase. No one gave him anything to what the Father gives. No one gave him anything. But tonight I want to focus on what his Father gave because this is our Father who is in heaven. It's a picture of God. And tonight I want you to see the picture with me. So no one gave him anything, but there are six things. David, I'm not going to try to do nine, but I am going to do six. I want to do six things that God gives. That was a wonderful sermon this morning. I'm not putting it down. I'm making a joke. A father ready to give. What's he ready to give? Number one, we have a father who's ready to give an inheritance. A father who's ready to give an inheritance. That's what we read in the first two verses, right? This young man, the youngest of the two sons, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his livelihood. Divided them his livelihood. So, again, under Jewish law, Deuteronomy 21 and verse 12, we understand that the oldest would have been given two-thirds of the inheritance, and so the younger son is going to get a third of his inheritance that is due him. Question? When do you usually get your inheritance? While he's alive? Not typically, right? And so for the son to come to his father and say, Father, uh, I want my inheritance now. Ultimately, what he's saying is, Father, I'm ready to sever this relationship with you. I no longer wish you to be alive. 
I no longer want to be here. I don't have a desire to be with you any longer. I want you to go ahead and give me what is due me, and I want to go on my way. And that's exactly what He does. But the Father gave Him His inheritance. And I want to remind you tonight, as a Christian, you have a Father who's ready to give you an inheritance. A couple of verses come to mind. I think about the words of Jesus to the great Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. Now the third time in the book of Acts that this uh, account is being retold so that we can grasp a full picture of that road to Damascus and Jesus speaking to Saul of Tarsus out of a great light. And part of what Jesus had to say, Paul recounts in Acts chapter 26, his own words in verse number 17. Jesus says in part, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why am I sending you? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm sending you, Saul, later the great apostle Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles so that they can receive an inheritance. I have something reserved for them, you see. I have something to offer them. And so while the world would give this young man nothing, God says, I want to give you an inheritance. I want to give you an inheritance. What is God's desire for all men? His desire for all men is that they may be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. God's desire is to hand all men an inheritance. I love the way that we looked at it in Bible class this morning. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, about verse number 4, Peter tells these Christians who are suffering persecution, he says, there's a reward that is waiting for you, this great inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven that's incorruptible and undefiled. It's reserved. It's waiting for you, this great inheritance in heaven. And so there is a sense in which that inheritance is reserved. It's waiting for us who are faithful through this life. But Colossians 1 and verse 12 says that there is a sense, uh, Thomas read this a moment ago, but there's a sense in which we are already partakers of this inheritance, right? As Christians, we can already assume, we know, we can have a living hope that this uh, inheritance is already given to us. The Father has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. The Father has allowed us has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. You see, God is ready to give us an inheritance. The world has nothing to offer, but the Father says, I have an inheritance ready for you. I want to give you the inheritance. I want you to come and be with me. I want you to be one of my children. After all, who is inheritance reserved for? Children. Relation. And God says, that's what I want to give you. I want to give you an inheritance. Going back to Luke chapter 15, here's number two. A father, as this young man finds himself over in that pig pen, desiring to eat what they eat, the Bible says that that he will come to himself, and he's reminded of home. He's reminded of his father. And picking up in verse number 13... The Bible says, In many days after the younger son gathered all together, he journeyed to a far country, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, and he spent everything, right? 
and there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And see, no one would give him anything. Verse number 17, though, he comes to himself and he says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Brethren and friends, I want you to know that our Father in heaven wants to give even to his servants, not just his relatives, not just to those that are closest to him, but even his servants. I think it is a fascinating statement that this young man thinks about. He says, here I am, I'm starving to death, I've got nothing, nobody's willing to help me out of this predicament, and he thinks about home and he goes back to his father, and he says, my father, he even gives his servants enough to eat, and how much? They even have enough to spare. That's how gracious our God is, isn't it? Even have enough to spare. It's not that He gives what we need, it's that He gives an abundance of what we need. That's our God. That's the picture that Jesus gives. I want you to know that He's not just interested in those that might be closest to Him, He's interested in everybody. That's why the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's why the sun comes up on everybody. You see, because God is willing to give in abundance. He's willing to give everybody. He's willing to give enough and even to spare because He is gracious, because of who He is in His very nature. Even His servants have enough and to spare. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses for your consideration. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes uh, to the, the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all His glory was arrayed like one of those. God takes care of the lilies. The grass of the field... God takes care of the grass of the field. It doesn't have to do anything. God just takes care of it. The birds of the air. They don't have to do anything. God provides for them. It's a how much more statement, isn't it? How much more you made in the image of God? How much more will He give you? You who are made in His image. You that He sent His Son to die for. So you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you in abundance, enough to spare. I'll take care of all of your physical needs. I will provide everything you need in this life. That's why James would say in James 1 and verse 17, don't forget it, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You see, God is going to provide even to spare, even enough to spare. Not just what you need, but above what you need. That's who He is. That's what He wants to do. That's what He's all about. But it's not just physical, is it? No. As Christians, Ephesians 1 and verse 3 is very real. And we need to really grasp onto it. Because every spiritual blessing is found in Christ. And so, God doesn't just give abundantly physically what we need. But as Christians, He gives abundantly what we need even to spare in spiritual blessings as well. I'm going to hold on to a God like that. This is the picture that Jesus is giving us. We have a Father who's ready to give even to His servants. He provides all that we need and enough to spare. Going on through the parable, we get to this great reception 
that takes place. You see, the young man, he's coming to himself. And he begins to think about his father. And he begins to think about home. And he begins to think about his, his father's servants. And in verse number 18, he finally says, Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. A God who's going to provide a welcome reception. This is what we know about the Father. This is what Jesus teaches us. Are you ready? The young man knew how badly he had blown it. I have completely messed everything up. I have taken what he gave me. I have wasted it. I have gone against him. I joined myself in this far country to, to awful things I should have never been participating in. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have left home. But I know I can go home. I know where my father is. I never want to forget where home is. Where my father is. You know what he never thought? He never thought, well, my father has moved and I don't know where he's gone. He didn't think that, did he? He knew that his father was going to be exactly where he left him. He knew exactly where he needed to go in order to find him. There's a welcome, or there's a mat on the door of God's heart and it says, welcome. Welcome. Come home. He knew, this boy knew, even in his lowest state, that his father would welcome him home. He knew that he could go. I want to never forget where home is. We sometimes go to John 14 and we look at the first few verses of John chapter 14, right? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But later in that same chapter, in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about His home. He talks about His dwelling place. He talks about where the Father desires to be. In John 14, in verse number 21, Jesus says that he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And who he loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's where God desires to be. With you, with me. There's always a welcome mat open in God's heart. I want to come to you. I want to be in you. I want to provide for you. No one would give this man anything. God says, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome you with open arms. In verse 20, it's a favorite verse, right, of the whole parable. I hope it's one of your favorite verses. Because he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Do you picture that embrace in your mind? Can you picture that embrace? Can you think about what that embrace would have looked like? I hope you can. I hope you can give that a little thought. I remember 
when uh, I was a sophomore in high school, my brother moved away from home to go to college. I remember the embrace. I remember it well. I could go right back to that spot in our driveway where I watched my dad hug my brother. I remember that embrace because it made a mark on me because that was one of the first times I really saw my dad cry. And I remember that. I remember that embrace as my brother pulled away. He had a little uh, Chevy S10. And and I remember he had a a mattress and box springs that were flowing in the wind. And uh, I remember as he pulled away, I remember looking at my dad. I remember watching that embrace as my brother left home for the first time. Some of you can relate. Some of you have been in that position. You know what that feels like. I can't relate fully to that. I watched it take place. I don't think he cried when I left home. I'm not sure, but he did when my brother left. I remember that. At the beginning of this parable, there's no word of embrace. You, you notice that? When the, when the son comes to his father and says, Father, give me what is owed me. I want my inheritance now. The Bible just says that he left. A few days after that, he's gone and he, and he leaves and there's no mention of any kind of embrace. It's as if the son said, Dad, catch you later. I'm gone. And, and there's no mention of any kind of embrace. But when he returns, big embrace. Big embrace. He'd been waiting for him, hadn't he? It's as if he'd been sitting there at the picture window just looking out, even with binoculars. He was a great way off, the Bible says. It's as if he had binoculars and he was just waiting for that boy to get close enough to see him. And as soon as he saw him, this is the picture of God, right? Running toward his son. Running. His son is full of self-pity. He's wallowing in the mire. He's as low as he could be. As my dad would say, he's lower than a snake's belly. He's as low as he could possibly be in his life. And his father runs to embrace him. That, my friends, is our Heavenly Father. That's the picture that we have of God. In my lowest moments, He's running to embrace me. And so He is with you. That's what we see. Can you picture that embrace? Picture Him falling on His Son, kissing His Son, giving Him the biggest hug that He's ever had. Picture the embrace. Our God, the psalmist says, is a God full of compassion. And when the Bible says that God is full of something, you better pay attention. He's the most powerful there ever is, right? He's full of compassion. That's Psalm 78, verse 38, 86 and verse 15, and a host of other verses. He's full of compassion. His compassions fail not. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. In the book of James, I have chapter 5 and verse 11 that's kind of summarizing Job and the life of Job. And the conclusion that James draws there in James chapter 5 and verse 11 is that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You ever connected those words to Job? That's what God wants us to see in Him from the book of Job. He's very compassionate and merciful. No one gave this boy anything, but the Father gave him nothing but compassion. And embraced Him. That's our Father. 
Our Father is willing to give an occasion for joy. I just really like these verses as His his Son has come back and, and the Son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your Son. And the Father said to His servants, Hey, bring out the best robe and put it on Him. Put a ring on His hand and sandals on His feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my Son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let us be merry. And they began to be merry. This is God showing what real joy looks like and an occasion for real joy. You and I can get happy about a lot of things in life, but we should never be happier than when we're with God in a right relationship. And nothing should make us happier than to see those who have wandered away from the Father come back to Him. Nothing should make us happier. That's the picture of Luke 15 in a nutshell. This is the third parable that Jesus has given in Luke chapter 15, right? How did the other two end? Well, chapter 15 and verse 7. I say to you likewise, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Parable of the lost sheep. Parable of lost coin. Luke 15 and verse 10 ends with, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Question, what makes God happy? What made this father happy? What brought his joy? And you know what it is. His son's repentance and return. I love my parents. I love them both. We had a good visit while they were here. I spoke to my dad this afternoon. He serves as an elder in the church in Branson. Dad was sick today. He wasn't able to go. As an elder, the eldership sent two letters recently to wayward members. They've gone through the process, and it was to the point. Today was the day. If you're unwilling to change or repent, we're going to have to withdraw fellowship. Today was the day. And Dad said, one of them was there and responded to the invitation. To hear hear it in his voice. To know that they had come back. You see, my dad is, he's not perfect. But he understood the weight of what took place, and so should we. We have a father who understands that, that eternal life, eternity, is really forever. His desire is for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. His desire is for no one to be lost. And so when someone responds and comes to a relationship with him, this is the response of God. Let us be merry. We have occasion to rejoice. This should make us the most happy. You look at 2 John in verse 4. What brought John happiness? I'll tell you what brings John happiness in 2 John in verse 4. He's writing to the elect lady. I love to hear that that some of your children are walking in truth. And then to Gaius in 3 John, verses 1 through 4, John says, I'll tell you what brings me the most joy is to hear that my children are walking in truth. That's what brings me joy. That's what I'm about. That's what the Apostle John says. That's what makes me happy. It should make us happy too. 
We have a father who gets happy. We have a world that says, you know, my picture of God is he's happy uh, when people go against him. You know, that's what seems to make him happy. He just likes to smoke people. He, he just likes to burn them. You know, he just likes to send down heaven, uh, fire from heaven and devour them. That seems to be, be uh, making God happy. I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. This tells us that what makes God happy is people being in a right relationship with Him, and that should bring us joy as well. I don't know what brings you joy in life, but I'll tell you what brings God joy is to see people come to Him. That's what it's all about. Here's the final thought tonight. What do we have? A father ready to give. We go from having two verses dealing with being merry to the older brother and a father who's willing to give correction. Is the father all of a sudden a different father? How all of a sudden did Jesus start talking about somebody else? No, they're still talking about the same man, aren't we? That's why he starts off in verse 11. He says, a certain man had two sons, right? He didn't just have one, he had two. And his second son comes into the picture now, and he hears this music. And he asks one of the servants, hey, come here, come here. Tell me, what's with all the music? What's going on in there? Oh, your brother came home. Your brother has returned. And your father has said, hey, let's kill the fatted calf and let us be happy. Let us be merry. And so that's the music that you hear. That's what's going on inside there. What's the brother's response? He's not happy. He's not happy. He's jealous, isn't he? He's envious. I think he's stunned. Are you kidding me? Have you lost your mind? What are you thinking? This son of yours went and wasted your inheritance on prodigal living. He joined himself to a harlot. He has wasted everything that you gave him. What are you thinking, Dad? Have you lost your mind? That's what we see in those verses, isn't it? What we see is selfishness gone to seed. That's what we see. And if we see a father who rejects a self-pitying speech, he wouldn't listen to it, would he? I think again, you see the compassion of the father come out. I don't picture a father who becomes incensed, do you? I don't picture a father who becomes Angry? I, I don't picture a father who, who begins to uh, yell at his son in this particular setting. But I do see a father who's willing to offer correction. You're way off base here. You are not right. I will not have this. I'm not going to, to listen to you and your self-pitying speech. Son, all that I have is yours. Everything that I can offer you is at your disposal. It's a father who gives. But you're off base. It's right for us to be doing what we are doing. I want you to notice this self-pitying speech. And I didn't mistype that. I put the apostrophe where I wanted to put it there. I think grammatically it's correct. I'm talking about both of the boys, in other words. Both of the boys had a focus that was clearly on themselves. 
In verse number 12, the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he's thinking about himself. Give me what I am owed. I want to leave your presence. He's focused on himself. But that's also what we find in verse number 29 from the older brother. He answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And where's the focus? Again, he's focusing on him. Where do I tend to focus? Sadly, I can be just like this brother. I can see myself in both of these men, can't you? Even as a son of God, I can see myself in both of these, both of these sons. From time to time, I take what my father has for granted. I just want to use it. I just want to take what, what he has offered me because he is gracious and blow it. Not be a good steward of it or with it. I, I can misuse what he has given me and I can waste it. Can't you? From time to time, we have that in us, don't we? And can't I also be pretty selfish from time to time? Can't I also look in the mirror and think pretty good things about the person I see and, and say, hey, God, you know, look at me. Uh, why don't you bless me more? Why don't I get what they get? And I think about myself, and I can tend to do that. But see the heart of God in the dealings with His oldest son. It's, it's easy to see the heart of God in the dealings with the youngest son in that embrace. But don't forget to see the heart of God in His dealings with His oldest son either. Because it's there. He loved Him enough to offer correction. And so we as fathers, we as mothers, well, we need to love our children enough to show them correction, don't we? I love you too much to let you do that. Can't let you get away with that. I don't want to be standing in the, in the seat of the proud because James says that God resists the proud, James 4 and verse 6. But David would say in a whole psalm dealing with repentance, in Psalm 51, he would say, you know who God runs to? He runs to those who are of a broken and contrite heart. He won't despise them. He'll not accept and he cannot accept sin. But he offers correction. Rather than friends, I just want you to see the picture that Jesus paints of the Father in a great parable, a parable that we're all too familiar with. Derek Hammond, Derek Redmond, laid on the track, broken. He just laid there, unable to move of his own. And it was his father who came. You find yourself scarred by your past. You find yourself lying on the track. You know who's running? It's your father. He's running. And there's nothing in your past that he can't forgive. There's nothing in your past that he can't help you up. And help you get across the finish line. You need to come to yourself. You need to come to yourself. You need to think about your father. And tonight, maybe you need to come home. If you're a child of God here tonight, 
You're not faithful. Oh, you're here, but you know your life. You're sitting here in this pew, and, and, but you know yourself. You know where you're really at. You know where that relationship really is. Perhaps tonight you need to respond to the Lord's invitation is extended to you. You have a father who says, I want you to come. I'm ready to embrace you. Will you come? Tonight, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a child of God, why would you leave in that condition? You have a father who's ready for you to come. He's ready to provide you with an inheritance. He's ready to give you everything that that can be offered through his son. And tonight, if you're not a child of God, it's time, isn't it? If you know what you need to do, the time is now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to make that confession? To repent of sin in your life? To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? You don't know what makes God happy? You responding to His Son's invitation. You being saved. Tonight, if you're ready to do that, then come. All together we stand and sing.